Honestly, we probably have the worst diet in the in the world. Americans, we probably have the worst diet, most toxic food that anyone eats on the planet. You know, again, sometimes us as Americans, we're like, you know, we're the best and all this kind of stuff. And we used to be, but food is not one of them, you know, and, and you know, we get pushed, all these ads are pushed on us and the foods that are made are so addictive, guys. They put six or seven different types of sugars and salts in these, these things, and it's all to get you hooked. I mean, this, this is the new drug. Food is the new drug. When it comes to building a business empire online while intentionally cultivating a thriving life at home with kids, well, there is no roadmap. It's not easy, but the great news is we're not alone. We live in a crazy world that is truly unlike any other time in our history. And if you're like me, you've got an impact of your own to make, but you're not willing to sacrifice your relationship with those that you love in order to get it. My name is Stephanie Dove Blake, and this is the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast where we'll journey together to learn what it means to be a truly powerful parent. Let's go. Today, we have Justin Benton with us, a devoted father of four, a visionary entrepreneur, and the founder of 101 Hemp Corporation, a pioneering company specializing in CBD oils. Justin's journey began when he discovered the healing potential of raw hemp and cannabis plants for his child, who was diagnosed with severe autism. This profound experience ignited his passion to create 101 Hemp Corporation and share the incredible benefits of these plants with the world. Justin also takes us on a deep dive into his own upbringing, reflecting on his childhood experiences and how they shaped his approach to parenting. He discusses breaking the cycle of negative discipline and his childhood desire for a nuclear family despite growing up in a blended one. Stephanie and Justin also explore the delicate balance between protecting children from adversity and allowing them to learn and grow from life's challenges, and then move on to the complexities of managing technology in the home, touching on educational apps, screen time limits, and the importance of shared musical interests within his family. He also emphasizes the significance of making mindful food choices for children's health, drawing from his own family practices, and recommending innovative solutions like vitality analysis. We'll also explore the vital role of preparing children for both successes and failures, fostering open conversations about online content, and the undeniable importance of organic and whole foods in nurturing our children's long-term well-being. Without further ado, let's jump into this enlightening episode with Justin Benton. Stay tuned for a wealth of wisdom and inspiration. Okay, welcome back to the Powerful Parenting Podcast. I am here with the indomitable Justin Benton. This man is unstoppable. I met him in the inner circle and truly so fast, he became one of my favorite people in the inner circle. Justin runs this incredible business and he's also this dedicated father of four and husband. And uh, I'm just so honored, Justin, to have you here on the podcast. And thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. I know you've got so much going on. You have, you have stuff going on with Russell Brunson. You've got your own business. You've got inner circle stuff. We're heading to Mexico in a week, but you took time out to come on over and have a conversation with me. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Well, I'm so happy to be here and I'm so happy to support you. I remember when you made your first offer for powerful parenting and I could just see the way it lights you up. I mean, obviously you're brilliant and you do so many amazing things in the digital marketing space and, you know, especially with chiropractors. And it's wonderful to see, and you help so much out of Inner Circle. You won Inner Circle Member of the Month again, two-time. At some point, they're going to have to get us jackets like they do with the Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and you're the queen of the Inner Circle, and so it's an honor for me to be here and help. But I think it's such a so important what you talk about. And the first time I heard you talking about this a couple of years ago, you know, and, and it's, we're, I mean, just simplified. We're talking about screens. And uh, I know I don't do a very good job, a good a job as I could. Uh, as far as keeping my kids off screens, because like right now we got a kid that's uh, one kid that's sick and two are school. And, I, you know, and sometimes like we're trying to run a business and I it's just like we're going to you know keep it real here. Like sometimes if they need to watch Encanto again, so dad can <laughs> do some stuff, then I'm living with it, man. And, and, and you know what I mean? And but but at the end of the day for me, uh, I think. I don't confuse myself with why I work as hard as I work and why I do what I do. Uh, it is not only to provide a great lifestyle for my children, but I think more importantly, and I think most people would agree, when you really dig deep, it's one thing to tell your kids what to do, you know, whatever it is, even advice, life advice. They may listen to what you say, but they will always watch what you do. 
Mm-hmm. And if you tell your kids that you can be anything you want when you grow up and you can be president or you can play third base for the Mets or whatever, uh, that's great. And then that's great to be supportive. And that's wonderful. And different love languages, words of affirmation might, might ring or ring true. But nothing will replace if you go after your dreams and show them, blaze that trail, do that thing and show them that it's possible. There's nothing going to be more of a profound effect on your children than them watching you do it. Now, they might not give you credit. They might not think it's cool, but they will at some point, whether it's 25 or 35. Uh, and that will just be an indelible mark in their mind. So I always remember that some of the hard work that I'm doing and struggling and all those things that we do as entrepreneurs is also teaching them adversity. And I mean, I'm, I'm becoming a better person. I'm becoming stronger, being able to take more on. But they're also getting to see that in the process. Yeah. And, and how old are your kids now? I, I see them behind you. I know on a podcast, you can't, you can't see this, but he's got a uh, beautiful canvases of his kids behind him. Yeah. They're beautiful. Thank you. Uh, 13, 10, six, almost seven, uh, two. Oh my gosh. You've got the spread. That is a good spread right there. You got, what are your ages again? Yep. Nine, nine, 14, 17 and 20. Yeah. We're about the same. You're yep. just, you just started a little earlier. Oh yeah. It, it, it's definitely a great spread. And it's so interesting whenever you have some that are so young and then you've got some that are older, uh, so many fascinating dynamics there with that. Um, so Justin, talk to me about some of your just thoughts and ideals around parenting. Uh, one of the things that I feel like we all actually have, whether we consciously are aware of them or not, is these ideals around who we want to be as a parent, right? And And some of that stems from how we were actually parented. And so prior to this podcast, I asked everybody, you know, what kind of home were you raised in? And, you know, versus kind of what home do you have right now? And you mentioned that you had a blended family. Um, I had a blended family at one point as well. And, you know, I, I walked away from that kind of with these ideals around what I would do and what I wouldn't do as a parent. And I'm wondering, do you have any of those? Absolutely. I think as children, we either embrace or rebel what we see. So like, for example, uh, um, my stepfather was raised in the John Wayne era and like spanking kids was normal. Yeah. And it wasn't sure. I sure wish it wasn't for me. But, <laughs> that was how I was raised, man. And I, you know, as, a, as an extroverted, outgoing. Um, Out of the box, probably. Like, I, I, I got my, I mean, I was a good kid, but I definitely um, pushed the envelopes. So I, I just, and, and now when I had my choice, like we say, we embrace or rebel versus how we were raised. It's like, I'm never hitting my kids. It's not going to do it. It's not, and, and, you know, I didn't have to do a lot of research on it. And I guess kind of the world shifted that way, but it just wasn't something that I was going to do. I didn't see the, I remember how it made me feel. And I was like, it wasn't a positive experience. Uh, so that would be an example that wasn't something that I was going to do, um, you know, but I, and also because I came from a blended family and I, I think and you can relate to this as well. And, and many, many others listening. I, I just remember thinking like, man, I really just I, what, how cool would it be to have my mom and dad together nuclear? Mm-hmm. And you just kind of always want that as a kid or I did anyways. And so then so what here I am now, it's so important. It's like an identity for me to have that that, that nuclear family. So it's, it's funny, like sometimes, you know, what was really tough for you could end up being the thing that it becomes the most important thing for you. Mm, and I think that's such a powerful statement because a lot of times as parents, we want to protect our children from anything negative happening to them. The, the kind of extreme version of it that I think is actually talked about is helicopter parenting. But I think the less extreme version of that looks like it can look like just being a good parent. And essentially it's when we're, we're literally, you know, filling out all the forms that they technically should be filling out or uh, they really mess up and we're coming in to kind of clean up that mess. Even if it's not like the helicopter parent where it's like, where are you going to be? What are they, you know, all of that kind of stuff, but it's, it's this protection from them actually falling on their faces. And someone once told me, I think it was Sally Clarkson actually um, that, you know, if the if your kids are going to fall on their faces, where do you want it to take place? Do you want to protect them to where they never fall on their faces uh, at all whenever they're in your home and then they leave your home and they fall on their face and they have no idea how to handle it? Or do you actually want them to experience hard times where they have to work their butt off or they have to come back and apologize and humble themselves um, and you know work through hardships and turmoil 
in your home so that you're there to help guide that process and support them as they're working through those hard times or, you know, wait until they're out. And as parents, especially, I mean, I don't know about you, Justin, but I came from a home life where we were poor, right? We didn't have money. We didn't have a lot of these things. And so my, I think my default or my natural tendency would be to make sure that my child, my children don't want for anything. Right. But in reality, that's actually not a good thing. Me wanting for things, me needing things, me struggling actually made me a stronger human being. And so I think it's so powerful what you said there, because um, it's, there's this fine balance. It's like, how do we protect our children, but still not protect them from the things that are actually going to grow them as a human being? Do you see that active at all in your, in your life with your kids? Absolutely. I mean, I, I I tell my kids all the time, I was like, look, I'm trying to give you some life lessons here. And either you're going to learn these lessons while I'm around or your life's going to teach you these lessons. And, and sometimes life's lessons, you're going to have to learn. I can't protect you from all of life's lessons. But there's some really hard ones out there that uh, I know I struggled with. And I, if I can at all at least prepare you, like, the way I look at it is like our job as parents is to raise good adults. Like our job is to raise well-adjusted um, adults that are and set them up for success. And and you know whether that's what we say or what we do. And that we're, for me, it's just like because um, again, because I didn't have my my dad wasn't around, so I'd see him two or three times a year. We'd hang out for a weekend or the holidays, and it was fun. But, you know, I, I didn't have that, like, let's go play catch in the backyard kind of thing. And so for me, it was so important that I was going to instill, like, whatever I possibly could, like, we're going to go to a play catch in the park right when we're done here right now. Again, it's one of those things where, um, you know, you, you, what you didn't have, you make sure that you give. But I think it is really important that we don't protect our kids from everything. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's like, you can even go as far as talking about like doing their homework, yeah. you know, or correcting their answers on their homework. <laughs> you know, we have young, and so like, for me, it's like, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a balance. And obviously, you know, in, in normal situations, there's a mom and a dad in the house, uh, you know, not all the time, but um, you know, so maybe one's more strict or one's, you know, more lenient and things like that. But yeah, you know, we'd obviously we want to protect our kids, but I agree with you. I mean, I was I we were kind of lower middle class probably. And I, I remember vividly times in my life, like in, in college, like I was hungry, like I didn't have money and I didn't have food and and that changed who I am. But also in college I went to Haiti and we did a semester abroad and things like that and broadened my perspectives of this one kid. We were sitting around the the campfire at night and way in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere of Haiti, like the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And uh, we were sitting around playing musical chairs and just having a good time. And this kid um, looked at me. He's probably five or six years old. And he says, I can tell you're American. I said, is that because of the color of my skin? He goes, no. He goes, it's because you don't suck the, the meat off the bones. Oh, wow. It just really, really sat with me and for the, my whole life. Because for them, it's like you eat every morsel of food because you don't know when the next meal is coming. Yeah. You know, and so we take things for granted. And again, I would always encourage my children to go travel as much as you can, especially like in your 20s. Or if you can do it in high school or college, man, you want to talk about giving you different perspectives on life. Yeah. I think as Americans in general, you know, uh, we kind of have this myopic view of like we're the best or we're the coolest or we have everything you need all here in this country. And we have such amazing values and there are so many cool things about this country. But there are so many cool things about so many other countries out there. So I would, uh, I would encourage. Um, I, I always my my daughter's going to Washington D.C. She's in seventh grade to go do all the sites in Arlington and all that White House tour. And I'm not going. Like she's going with the classmates, and I think it's great. So yeah, that's amazing. So so Justin, tell me and about whenever you were a kid, what did connection look like with your parents? Like whenever you can look back and think. Um, on when you were with your mother or your father, where you just felt really connected to them? What what memories come up for you? Oh, what a good question. Uh, let's see. I mean, for me, uh, so my mom really kind of raised me. I mean, I had a stepdad who's really militant and strict and, and what have you, um, kind of that John Wayne personality. So for when I think of like my mom, because she was the one, the one that was around um, for the most part, I, I just, one of the things that I'll always remember is that she always encouraged me to be a trailblazer mm -hmm. and like to blaze 
Mountain Trail, and which was cool. And she's an awesome lady. You met her out there in, in Boise, understand yes, me. And, and so like even like what I dress. So in like seventh grade, I'm, uh, I'm a little older, I guess, but maybe not that old. I don't really pay attention to loops around the sun. It's an arbitrary number. But I used to wear Zubas. <laughs> and I used to wear, and I have all these different colors Zubas. And I had the hypercolor shirts. But then I also had different colored like Converse, you know, the Chuck Taylors. I'd wear one red room. Oh, yeah. And I didn't care. And I still don't care what people think. But I was encouraged by a kid, uh, as a kid, to blaze my own trail, to do my own thing. So when I think of connection, I think of, of you know, some of that guidance for my mom to kind of like just supporting me. And, 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 and she was a great mom, you know. And on some levels, she was almost a single parent on some, on some levels. But, uh, yeah, I just remember being supported and encouraged, in fact, to really beat to my own drum. And so whenever you think about how she got, he, she guided you and you felt that encouragement, did that come in the form of words? Was it through times when she spoke into you? Yeah, I would say mostly um, speaking. I mean, I'm probably not the most touchy feely guy, even though I think it's pretty high up in love language, but, but um, yeah, it was definitely through words and, and talks that we had and, and just conversations for the most part. I mean, she was a great mom. She is a great mom and I got lucky. And sometimes you know, things just tend to work out for the best. You know, I think my dad's a great guy, you know, but I think things happen for a reason. And so I'm, I'm happy that things, and trust me, at the time, I was not happy about it at all. Yeah. Um, that my parents were together. But looking back now, I can see kind of how that was how it was supposed to be. Well, and so with your dad kind of being that John Wayne type of personality, which that's really a, a great way to describe it, I feel like. Whenever you think about your father and your relationship with your father, is there a time where you can picture like, wow, I, whenever my dad did that, that I felt like he saw me or I felt connected to him? Well, so my real dad was was gone and comes and gone. So my stepdad was the John Wayne. My real dad was, um, I don't know why I want to say Patsy Klein. <laughs> I just bring in my used to laid back. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, the the John Wayne stepdad, who I lived with, I mean, so that's who I lived with for, you know, many years. you know. The connection, the thing that I would that I I look back and he's since passed away, but the thing that I look back on is for all the discipline that he gave me, and we had study halls every day. And the day that I bought a Nintendo, I lost the Nintendo. I mean, I know I didn't know that I owned it, but so the the rules were super strict, and there was obviously the spanking and and study halls and like write things five hundred times, and uh, just super 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 strict. But for as much as I hated that, it had to instill some things into me. And, and I catch myself probably doing some similar things to the way he was raising me because that's just what I knew. You know what I mean? Just some stuff programmed in the back. But one thing that I do love that he taught me, it's a, an old phrase, but it's called the Indian talking stick. And what that means, it's actually in Stephen Covey's book, Seven, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, talks about when, uh, and he would do this before I knew what it was. And so he would say, I'm going to meet you at 3.30 at the playground over there. And this was before cell phones, folks, and before pagers, and we had answering machines. And I don't know about you as a kid, but I waited a long time for my parents. And you did, you had to make that decision. Well, do I start walking home or do I just stay? Anyways, yes. he would at 3.30 at that playground. I'll, I'll meet you there after school to pick you up. And then he would make you repeat it back to him. And so it was like, oh, and you just like under your breath, you're like 3.30 at the playground, meet over there. And you're just like, this is so ridiculous. But he, he was teaching me, number one, communication skills, which are great and make people are on the same page. And it's another skill that we live with in our life right now is like, you guys know how it is with like, you know, he, he was making he was making me accountable and, and holding me accountable to someone else. And sometimes in this life with, you know, these huge companies and customer service and and like, well, I sent them an email. They should have taken care of. No, in this lifetime, like you got until the, the thing gets done, you got to make sure it gets done all the way through. Like it's either done or it isn't done. You didn't put it on someone else's plate. Did it get done? Like, well, my programmer or my funnel builder or they didn't do. No, no, no. Then did it get done? No, because ultimately the responsibility is on you. Wow. So he taught you to take uh, essentially ownership of, yep. of of whatever you were working on or dealing with, and he held you yep. accountable to that. So that's pretty powerful. That's a yeah, powerful yeah. lesson. So how, between your mom and your dad and your kids that you have now, how do you, when do you feel most connected to your kids? Like what activities, what moments where you just really feel like, oh, this is like the good stuff when it comes to fatherhood? 
Yeah. I mean, again, one of the things that my stepdad was really good about was sports. So we, we grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and it's all football, like crazy football. Like you just, they don't give you birth certificates. They just sign a football when you're born. I mean, it's, it's nuts. And so we always went to football games, college world series, baseball games. So sports was a huge part of our lives growing up. And uh, he, like I said, he's no longer with us, but like my brothers that were in the house, uh, three other brothers, like we still, and sometimes, you know, us guys in general can be a little uh, tight lipped. Um, but we, when football season rolls around, we're back and forth talking about who's starting the quarterback and all that kind of good stuff. But uh, so, and now how that relates to now is like, you know, I do play a bunch of, uh, you know, sports and uh, take my kids out to sports and we go to sporting events and play all those kinds of things. So I definitely feel connected with sports. My daughter's doing really well in volleyball. And so sports is, a, I, I think team sports is really, really great for kids yes. for their confidence and for, you know, just team camaraderie and overcoming adversity. That's one thing for sure. But also I love like doing the uh, camping and we go do the outside outdoors things. And we also did that when I was younger too come to think of it. But, uh, you know, I, fi I find being in nature and going camping is another one that's really good. That is definitely one of our favorites too. Um, so, so thinking about the things that you feel like you're really, like you feel connection with your kids through sports and showing up together and having those shared experiences, going camping. Um, do you think that your children receive and experience connection with you in the same way? And so here, here's kind of the, the frame that I'm, I'm kind of putting together with that, which is when are the times whenever you really see your kids light up and they almost don't want to let you go? Like they want to linger a little bit longer or they're like, do we really have to stop? What are those things in your life? Do you, is it the same as what you're putting out? Or do you see that there might be something else where they're actually lighting up in connection in a different way? Well, I think, um, I think some things that come to mind for me are like when they, we just got like our report cards and they had a big school assembly thing and they all did really, really well. Actually, they forgot to announce a couple of our kids awards and there was drama behind that. So they got that all figured. But, um, but I, I, you know, you see in their eyes, like when you tell them good job or I'm proud of you. And, but I also like to say, I'm proud of the work you put the work in and the results, the result, but the results, the result, because you put the work in, mm -hmm. um, I'm proud of how hard you work to achieve that because it's, you know, Sometimes you don't get the results you want, but if you do put in the work, you put in the work and you can be proud of that. But so I see those moments where we uh, connect or they, it really means a lot to them. Also, I know another thing like me and my biological dad, uh, we, uh, we bonded when we get together, we'd always play Beatles songs on the piano Ooh. and uh, play a little guitar too. And so that's just always what we did. And so I do it with my kids and music is a very big part of my family. And so you know, all, most of all my kids are very musical now. And then um, that just kind of naturally happened. And so when I'm playing music or we're playing music and things like that, there's a real bond there. And, you know, there's some there's some really good, you know, daddy daughter songs out there that you can play. Tim McGraw, My Little Girl and a few others. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so there's definitely some, you know, there's been some tears shed on both sides of the piano for some of those moments for sure. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love it. Hey, powerful parents, Stephanie here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Did you know that statistics show that 88% of Americans say they eat dinner with their family every night or a few times a week? I think that's a pretty awesome stat. But if you're anything like me and you're an entrepreneur, then after a day filled of putting out fires and maybe various events testing your patience, sometimes it's hard to think of questions that can help you really connect with your kids beyond the standard, how was your day? When my kids were just littles, I put together a list of questions to solve this problem and to help us have something to connect with over dinner time. And now I would love to share my curated dinner questions with you. This is good for littles and for bigs. There's lots of different varying questions in there. And these questions are going to help to ensure that the conversation is not just lively, but will bring you closer to your children while you enjoy a delicious meal together. As a listener of this podcast, you can get access to these questions at www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Once you're there, make sure to type in your best email and I'll have my team shoot over the questions for you. Once you get the questions, I encourage you to make this a family affair. Print them out. Have your kids help you cut them out. We even grabbed a mason jar, and my kids decorated it, and that's where we put all of our questions, and that same mason jar still sits on or near our dinner table to this day. We've been using these questions for close to eight years now, and I've really enjoyed the fun conversation and connection that's come from them. I hope your family enjoys them as much as mine have. Again, that's www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Now back to the show. 
so as we kind of touched on earlier on in the conversation, I know we talked about, you know, screens and all of that. And I want to take just a second to remind everybody who's listening that powerful parenting is not about being anti-technology, but it's about being pro-connection. And it is about how do we connect deeply with our children? And also, how how can we be good stewards in the midst of the craziness that is screens in our home? Whether that be social media, movies, video games, sports, like there's screens everywhere. And they're all calling for our attention. The video game industry alone uh, literally dwarfs the movie industry and the music industry. Whenever you look at the graphs of money actually invested in being spent and vying for the majority of our kids' attention, it's, it's, I think it was, uh, oh, I'll quote the number wrong, but it was billions and billions of dollars being spent vying for our kids' attention. Not to mention you've got Meta, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, you've got all the social media, and then you've got the fun stuff, the movies and all of that. So much is vying for our kids' attention and it's so addictive and it just feeds this, you know, fast feeding, uh, quick benefit type of attention that uh, we've kind of all developed a little bit. And so in the midst of it, you know, there's there's so much going on in our homes and specifically for us as entrepreneurs, you know, we're we're very busy. Almost all of us are, are ambitious and we've got things going on. We're trying to build. We want to change the world, right? We want to leave an impact. Um, but Usually we never sign up to build an empire online to lose the kingdom at home, right? And so we've got this kind of thing happening where we've got all these screens and this pressure to just kind of like hand an iPad over, hand an iPhone over, oh, go play a video game. And then we we blink and it's been three hours or four hours or longer, who knows, you know? And so I, I just want to talk about that with you right now. Again, there is never any judgment or uh, anybody listening um, on here, everybody has different circumstances and and uh, things that lead to where we are in our journey. Um, sometimes we can do better. Sometimes we're doing the best we can um, and there's nothing better. And so I, I just want to encourage everybody with that. But given, given um, that thought, what do, you, what do you and your wife do in your home for screens? Like what uh, you've got the, you've got the spread, you've got the, the widespread of ages. So I would imagine if you're like me, it's, it's hard because you've got, okay, well, for these olders, this is what it looks like. And then you've got the middles and this is what it looks like. And then for the littles, this is what it looks like. What does that look like in your home, Justin? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's an area for improvement without a doubt. And the crazy thing is, so like, this is the first generation where this is the thing. Like, I didn't have it. Um, you know, the iPhone was invented in what, 2007? Somewhere in that neck of the woods. And that was really kind of the beginning of screens. And then the iPad came afterwards. And then it, there was just TV. I mean, I was young enough that we had 13 channels. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so it was like, it was either they turned the TV on or the TV off. Nintendo, I think, came out in 1984. I was eight years old back then. And so that was a different thing. I'm, I'm glad my kids have not gotten into video games. I, I, they, I think they play a little Roblox or something, whatever they Roblox or I don't, Minecraft, maybe a little bit, but it seems, and they don't have any like the violence or anything like that. It seems pretty harmless, you know, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think I was your first person to sign up for powerful parenting. So uh, I know you I were. you were, so but and I would love to hear your advice. Um, and, but because, yeah, I mean, again, uh, as you know, and my wife helps out with the business. And, and when she has young kid, we've had, you know, young kids still. I mean, that's a full time job in itself. And so it's, uh, you know, and I try to find good things. And there are good things like Starfall is a really good app on uh, your phones. That's a really good teaching app. My mom was a school psychologist. So she's always teaching us, you know, a, an app here or a, you know, good old fashioned books. My youngest just wants to be outside all day, which is great. And, you know, three or four hours outside is great. Uh, you know, but sometimes you do have to come in and work. And so, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, there's definitely too much of it. We try to limit it to an hour a day. Um, sometimes we do a good job. Sometimes we don't. Yeah. But, um, and I think like we've talked about before, I think, um, you know, I think there just needs to be a, 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 a software that just controls this stuff. So we don't have to worry about it. Like, make sure they're not going on any of the rights. So just a, it's a family software that just has connections to all the devices, and we can just it automatically turns it off. And here's a here's a fun little uh, secret that uh, someone told me that was pretty funny. If your kids won't come down for dinner, all you need to do is unplug the Wi-Fi. It's amazing. Hundred percent. 
show up. Yes. And actually, you know what's awesome, Justin, is there's some software out there. Now, I personally am not a huge fan of any one software because honestly, I just feel like they're all kind of lacking. And my hope is that someday I can be a part of building just an incredible software that would, would really kind of meet all the needs. But as of right now, there are some good ones out there like Bark. Bark is a pretty good one. There's another one I use for my older kids. It's called Accountable to You because I believe that, you know, it's one thing whenever kids are really young, you know, um, actually doctors recommend that you actually don't give kids whenever they're little bitty uh, devices. But if you do very, 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 very limited access to those devices. And then as they start to be, you know, young kids, you know, anywhere from maybe four to six, seven, eight, um, you know, we're looking at a, a limited amount of time, but it's very governed. You want to keep protect your kids from sexual predators and pornography and uh, making sure that you've got those things set up because, uh, you know, I myself have heard some horror stories and I have experienced something with one of my children where they were very, very young. And I told them about Sonic the Hedgehog, Justin. Sonic the Hedgehog is a game I played, you know, Thanks. on the Sega, right? And loved it and thought it was the coolest thing. And they were coming out with a new Sonic movie and I was excited about it. And they were looking up Sonic the Hedgehog and some really, truly disgusting human had made some uh, abnormally disgusting content with uh, Sonic the Hedgehog and the characters on Sonic the Hedgehog. And my child had just been on the iPad. I was literally in the room right next door and uh, this content had come up. And whenever I walked back in the room, uh, my child's face was flushed and they looked startled and they didn't know they they were having trouble processing what they had just been watching. And I, I grabbed the iPad and I looked and they had been seen at least like five or six minutes of this absolute disgusting trash. Just I literally I mean, I the feeling I felt like my whole room just like blacked out for half a minute, like trying to figure out what the what the heck? How does this happen? I even had YouTube kids on. You know, uh, I even had YouTube kids. That kind of stuff's not supposed to be there. And so it felt very unfair. I felt like I felt violated for my kid and my kid should never have been exposed to that stuff. And they were young. They were very young. And so this kind of stuff happens. And so we have to be really vigilant, especially during those times. And then as they become into the tween and teen years, I think there has to be something said for starting to teach them self-governing in a gradual state up into the 16, 17, 18 years old, the last couple of years that they're in the house, where they are actually doing self-governing. And that's where I really love the accountable to you software, because it's actually more of an accountability rather than a, a restriction. So it will report if certain sites are on and um, it will give you notifications so that you can have conversations. Hey, what happened with this? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think, you know, we're both on the same page. You said this isn't the kind of content you want to be looking at. Or why did you watch that? Or what happened with this? How'd that come up? And it's great for conversations so that they're prepared whenever they leave the home. It's not just a, oh, look, now I have free access to the internet and I can access all the stuff I couldn't access before. Instead, they can technically access anything they want to, but we're going to, we're going to have conversations around what they choose to access according to the alerts that come up. And so there are some really great resources out there. I actually have a breakdown that I can supply to of kind of my thoughts on the top ones that are out there right now so that you can check them out too. But I think for me in where we are uh, in society today, there's all this stuff that we can do and we can restrict and we can pull back um, and we can monitor until our eyeballs bleed. But the true source, I think, of what the answer is, is actually connection. Because I believe, you know, rules and regulations without relationship is going to equate to some form of rebellion. And so uh, whenever we have these rules and we set these things in place, it, it has to be paired with relationship and conversations. And so part of powerfully uh, parenting powerfully is um, making sure that we find those times where we can connect and actually uh, dive in together so that we feel connected and and there's those conversations happening so that if your child does get exposed to something, they will talk to you about it. And even more so than that, that they're not looking for connection through some avenue that has to do with the screen. Because unfortunately, it's all going to be a shadow of what real connection looks like whenever you try to get that kind of fake connection online. And so it, it's difficult in living in the days that we live in right now, because it, it, like you said, we're digital uh, uh, natives raising digital nomads, right? I'm sorry, we're digital nomads raising digital natives, right? We're coming into this and it's like, okay, record scratch, something's not right here. We have to do something a little bit differently, or this is going to end up in a bad place, which is why we're having all these conversations. And 
I think that about 85 to 90% of all parents right now, Justin, are kind of in the same boat of just kind of like, what the heck do I do? Like, all I know is, yeah, just try to only do an hour a day or, you know, some, some parents are like, well, we just, we have certain days we do it, or it's, I don't even know what's happening. They just have a device and they use it whenever they feel like using it. And I, you know, they're not tracking. And while I I have compassion for that, I, I just know that every family has to have attention on it. Right. And so you've got some level of attention on it because you're a good father. You're, you're like, okay, we try to limit it to an hour a day. Sometimes we don't. Uh, I, that, I think that's phenomenal. And I just want to applaud you for that because it's, it's for one, not easy, but for two, so many people just um, aren't allocating the resources. And it's just like in business, right? Uh, in business, in order for us to be successful, we have to, we have to expend energy towards our business, right? And it's the same thing with our kids. Yes, we're expending energy to keep them fed, to keep them, you know, uh, healthy, uh, fed and, and, and make sure they get to sleep, make sure they go to school. Uh, but then there's this extra bit of energy that we have to kind of look at and making sure that we're communicating and connecting with them on deep levels and building that heart connection and relationship, which is, you know, why my questions about how do you feel connected with your kids and then vice versa? How do you feel like your kids feel connected to you and, and, and watching for that part? Because again, like I said before, we can monitor screens all we want, but if we don't have that connection there, whenever the stuff hits the fan, uh, we, we definitely have to have that connection there. So they, they lean back into that and they come back to us and talk to us about that. So with that being said, you know, whenever you and your wife are, uh, looking at kind of the, the buckets, if you will, of the things that we, we think about in, in for our kids, right. Um, would you say that what are the major things that you and your wife are, are thinking about with your kids, right? Would you say it's usually, you know, what food are they eating? How's their education going or so on and so forth? Yeah. Well, again, for my story too, obviously with my son and his health scare, he was a healthy, happy kid. And then all of a sudden he wasn't, uh, you know, and food is our medicine. And I knew that raised by my mom, who's a holistic healer, integrative nutritionist, school psychologist, she wears a lot of hats. And so, uh, so we knew when he got that diagnosis, the first thing we had to do was clean up his diet. And uh, unfortunately, oof, I mean, honestly, we, we probably have the worst diet in the, in the world. Uh, Americans, we probably have the worst diet, most toxic food that anyone eats on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, again, sometimes us as Americans, we're like, you know, we're the best and all this kind of stuff. And we used to be, yeah. um, you know, we're still pretty good at a lot of stuff, but um, food is not one of them. Agreed. And you know, and, and, you know, we get pushed, all these ads are pushed on us and the foods that are made are so addictive guys. They put six or seven different types of sugars and salts in these, these things. And it's all to get you hooked. I mean, this is, this is the new drug. Food is the new drug. And a lot of the company, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but a lot of the companies that make these horrible foods that taste great, that make us sick and give us autoimmune diseases and give us all, you know, diabetes, cancer, all that stuff which is food-based, they also are on the side of the healthcare. So they're actually right in the middle is, is they get you sick with their food, what they make money on, and then they get you on their drugs on the back end. Yeah. So just understand that, do your own research. I have done mine. So just know that we have to get back to simpler times. Um, if you care about your kids, which you do, which yeah. means you need to understand what you're feeding your children. And you know, I know you recently moved to a farm and I've got looking at my avocados and out here we got grapefruit and lemons and oranges and we're fortunate for that. You should be growing your own food as much as you can. You should be eating organic. Um, there's pesticides or neurotoxins, Roundup. That's part of what my son's brain was accumulating up to the 99 percentile. It's, uh, it's bad news, folks. It's not a game. You know, this whole thing about, oh, organic costs that much more. No, it doesn't. The banana is, is 29 cents at Trader Joe's for organic, and it's 19 cents for non-organic. Every time you take a bite of, of non-organic food, you're eating pesticides. Mm-hmm. Do the research on how pesticides came around. They're actually, uh, the, the genesis of, of pesticides came around from the same uh, manufacturer and companies that were in the gas chambers and Nazis, mm-hmm. and they rolled it into our food. Mm-hmm. And what we spray on our food. And so again, so because I had such a profound experience with my son, 
Um, I had to, uh, and I was, my, my guide was my mom who had done all the research previously and her husband, uh, who you, we talked about earlier, my stepdad, uh, you know, had cancer, uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, had three months to live and she got him healthy with food and some cannabis even back then. Um, and he lived another 23 years and his body was ravaged, but he passed away of a heart attack, but he lived another 23 years and that was food and plant-based medicine and food. So obviously that's a really big topic for us, um, at our house. And again, it's, it's tough because you want to like, kind of, you know, get your kids a, a good snack, but there are good organic ones. Um, I also recommend everyone get a, uh, go to vitalityanalysis.com. It's a Canadian company. Uh, for like 150 bucks, you send in like six strands of hair and it'll give you a food analysis of what, what are the foods that are good for you, for your body? And what are the foods that are bad for you? So many of us are eating foods that are bad for us. Some of us were, were, were based on our, our lineage, where we came from, like we shouldn't be eating citrus. Some of us should not be eating eggs. And, and you just do a real simple food analysis um, to see what are the things it scores the food from 800 to minus 800. So it's vitalityanalysis.com, small little Canadian company that, of course, my mom found. And you want to make sure that your um, your kids are eating the things that that support them in the best. But it's 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 not rocket science, folks. It's fruits. It's vegetables as much as you can. Uh, and uh, the lettuce on the Big Mac does not count as a vegetable. <laughs> Dang it. But uh, so anyways, food. Is a big, big. I feel like we would be such a miss if I didn't have you tell your story. And I know we've been going for a little while here. And I, I, if you have the time, I would love for you to tell the story of of your son and and how CBD raw, specifically the type of CBD that you have found, how it made a difference in your son's life and what that looks like for y'all now. Absolutely. So how it worked with us was again, he was a healthy, happy kid. And around three, uh, he all of a sudden lost his ability to communicate, talk, smile, engage. I mean, he just basically went into a coma, uh, not like an actual coma, but he just wasn't with us. He was in his own little world. And so we got the diagnosis uh, for severe autism and we went to work. And that, again, it was food was our medicine. And because of that, we got rid of the processed foods. We got rid of the refined sugars. We got rid of the dairy. We got rid of the gluten. Uh, we did the food analysis test. We knew which foods that were he was more prone to. And all of us, green leafy vegetables, eat them. And we started juicing every day, like all these organic uh, fruits and vegetables, you know, ca uh, carrots and apples, uh, celery, cilantro is a really good one for detoxifying. Wild uh, organic blueberries is really good uh, for detoxifying. And so he would have this juice uh, every day. And we made a lot of progress just with food, just with food. Uh, and I'm having uh, Chris work on my podcast, this Miracle Plant podcast, uh, in a couple of days. And he has an incredible regimen. He's coming out with a cookbook. And his his food is all based on uh, his his diet is all based on juicing and salads, essentially. And so anyways, and so um, but my son, by by doing this really nutritious, clean diet, went from severe to moderate uh, on the diagnosis, which was great. But he still wasn't all the way back to where he was pre, uh, you know, incident. And so then we, I, I knew I had to, I was his only dad, so I had to keep figuring it out, right? And just never giving up. And there wasn't a lot of hope. Dr. Google wasn't giving me much hope. The resources around me weren't giving me much hope, but I didn't care. Um, I was going to figure it out um, or die trying. And so I uh, was sitting at a, at a little 1950s diner, as it talks about in our, in our inner circle book. And my buddy is a cannabis farmer. We just were catching up and uh, we were just... Uh, you know, chewing on the fat, as they say. And uh, he, I, I said, so what's going on? He said, a buddy of his was Dr. Preston. He was looking for some help making a CBD pen for, for pain. And I said, what is the CBD pen? Is it like one of those, you know, Seinfeld episode, astronauts or a Mont Blanc? <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 it's a, it's a pen. CBD stands for cannabidiol. And you just roll it on your, um, wherever the pain is on your body. And uh, cannabidiol, and I said, well, why is he asking you? He goes, well, because cannabidiol comes from a strain of cannabis called hemp. And I was like, dude, I inhaled and exhaled in college, and I knew <laughs> quite a bit about cannabis. And so I do not know what you're talking about. I've never heard of CBD. Why? How is, how is this possible? So I did what we all do as we left the restaurant. I went on to Google, and I typed in, you know, CBD, and there it was. It was like, oh, my gosh, it comes from hemp. And then, so as you scroll down, it says how CBD was getting rid of seizures 
and eliminating seizures and reducing seizures with children. Wow. And actually, Dr. Rafael Mashulam, who just passed away recently at the age of 92, what a man, what a great guy, discovered this in the 1970s. And it was buried for unfortunate reasons and nefarious reasons. But essentially, so you're sitting, I'm reading this on Google. I'm like, wait, there's a plant that gets rid of seizures for children. And so the first thing I thought of was, well, my son had neurological ailment, maybe the same plant that was helping for neurological serious ailment like, like you know, epilepsy or seizures. Maybe by the grace of God, it could help for my son. Uh, we tried a bunch of products at the time that were on the market. This was like back in 2014. Didn't get the results that we wanted, uh, but it wasn't going to give up because it made way too much sense and I didn't have any better leads and I trusted my instincts. So I kept doing more research and met people like Dr. Rafael Mashulam. And then I met all these doctors and researchers, Dr. Reith, Dr. Nathan Riso. I went to all these conferences and all this stuff. And I said, like, this has to be it. This has to be it because I had nothing else. This was all I had. And, and finally, I came across some research um, from Dr. William Courtney, which validated what my mom also was saying is a true holistic. When you're holistic, that means it's raw and it's organic and it's whole plant. Basically, it means you eat it. And so people were burning CBD. They were taking hemp and they were cooking it. Because when we think of cannabis, we think of Cheech and Chong, right? That's how we were raised since 1937 in this, this country when they made it illegal. Is like, well, you got to get high, right? Cheech and Chong up in smoke. Well, it, the crazy thing is one of the Cheech and Chong movies, Up in Smoke, it, uh, the cop pulls him over and Chong, Tommy Chong, eats all the, the marijuana. Uh, and so uh, and then he goes on like this, like, you know, acid trip or whatever. Well, that's not true. Believe it or not, if you ate raw uh, marijuana or cannabis with high that's high in THC, it's actually the plant makes what's called THCA. Only when you put fire to the, to the marijuana does the A get burned off and it turns into what's called THC Delta 9. And that's the only part of the plant that can get you high. Well, there isn't hardly any THCA in, in hemp. There's a whole lot of CBDA. And the A stands for acid, acidic. That's what the plant makes. So based on the holistic way that I was raised, based on the research from Dr. William Courtney that was juicing cannabis to help, basically, I mean, let's just say it, they were they were shrinking tumors and curing people with late-stage cancer with this. Wow. And so I, that's it. We got the CBD for the seizures. We got the raw, holistic, you know, cancer juicing of the cannabis. I'm in California. I'm just going to grow some because no one has it on the market. I'm going to make my own oil for my son. Um, he was at a pumpkin patch one day. We gave him some after a huge tantrum and hiding and kicking and screaming, hands over his ears and all this. And he just snapped out of it. And like 30 seconds later, ran off and had a, a great time with his sister and the grandparents and everybody was there. Like, oh, my gosh, what was it? What'd you give him? And that was the beginning of our journey. He's no longer on the spectrum, no longer has any of the, those, those issues that he had. He's a healthy, happy kid. And our, our prayers were answered. And, um, and so, but, and it truly was, you know, a miracle. And so and I just, I just said, okay, other people need to know about it. And at the time, and I put up a little sign on a, one of my office suites and people just started hearing our store and they kept coming and it was fibromyalgia, neuropathy, rheumatoid arthritis, and then it was cancer. And then I was seeing these people and I was seeing just like, I was so shocked that there was something as simple as a plant that could help so many people with so many different things. I was like, okay, well, I can, I can pause my life. I already paused it for my son. I can pause. I can, I can pivot here and I can just educate the world and reach a billion people by 2025 about the power of this plant, which is just juicing cannabis, juicing hemp. And uh, it's been an amazing journey. That's why I, I met you. How I met you was joining Russell Brunson's inner circle because COVID hit and no longer March of, I mean, I had tons of chiropractic clients, but then everyone got you know, didn't want to go out of the house. And so then everyone got trained to shop online. 70% of Americans were shopping online first, like getting the groceries delivered and Uber Eats before COVID. Now that number has tripled and quadrupled. So we have been conditioned and trained to shop online. So you have to, if you're going to sell something, you need to learn how to sell something online. And there is only one mentor that I knew who to choose. And that was our, our homeboy, our mentor, Russell Brunson. And so that's how we met. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. What's going on, John? My husband is interrupting our podcast. I'm going to have to edit it out. <laughs> what do we got? Ice cream? What kind of ice cream? <laughs> I don't know, but it looks good. Delicious. Waffle cone. <laughs> and we're just, just because we're on the food kick, it's non-dairy. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> it's the bad, it's the bad kind. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Well, that might be a sign it's time to wrap. It's no big deal. Yeah, no, no. But but seriously, Justin, I, I would love for everyone 
who is hearing your story right now that um, wants to know more about um, CBD oil and what you produce. Like I said, we use it in our home and we, I mean, it's incredible. Anytime uh, John's back is hurting or mine, um, we get that out and we rub it on and it's been incredible. And I've so many people in the inner circle now use it and talk about it all the time, just how incredible it is. And so if someone's listening right now and they want to learn more about that and learn more about you, where do they go? Well, if you want, you can see a funnel from Russell Brunson that helped me build it. It's actually a funnel that we did. We actually gave away 5,000 of these little roll-ons at uh, Funnel Hacking Live last year. And uh, it's just called freemiracleplant.com. And uh, it was only supposed to be for funnel hackers, but, uh, but you'll get to see what you'll get to hack a funnel when you go to it. And it's actually a free roll-on. So it's a little roll-on. It's real simple. You just roll wherever the skin hurts. It works on rashes, bug bites, scratches, cold sores. Wow. Won't do that but it does just about everything else. And that'll kind of introduce you to the power of the miracle plant in the raw form. It's called CBDA. And then uh, if you've got chronic issues or severe issues, uh, then we want to talk about sublingual oils um, that you hold under the tongue for five minutes. But uh, yeah, I'd love to help. Uh, we're we're going to reach a billion people by 2025. And uh, if I need to do, if I need to do more after 2025, I will, but I'm happy to pay it forward for what this miracle plant did for my family and my son. Oh, so amazing, Justin. You are an amazing person, amazing entrepreneur. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on this podcast. I appreciate everything you've shared with us and just telling us and talking to us about your journey and and knowing, helping everybody, hopefully on the call, everybody who's listening to kind of know that they're not alone. We're all in this together. We're all uh, trying to do our best. And um, I, I just love it. So thank you so much, Justin. Uh, everybody check out Justin's CBD oil. Look for him online. Uh, follow him. And please stay tuned for the next Powerful Parenting episode. Bye-bye. I truly hope you enjoyed our episode today on the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast. Make sure to hit follow and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. You're not going to want to miss a thing. I promise. If you were impacted by this episode, do me a favor and leave a review with a comment. I read every one of them and I also pass them along to our guests. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links at powerfulparenting.com forward slash podcast. If you want to see more behind the scenes with me and my guests, be sure to find me on Instagram or Facebook. It's where we can have deeper conversations on these podcasts. Take care. And remember, it's not about being a perfect parent. It's about taking each day and working on showing up powerfully for our kids. They deserve it. And you are the parent for the job. See you on the next episode.